0: morning and welcome to episode 11 of talk for freedom this is cesar we have cc here hi Chuck hello and we actually are coming uh, from a very special place Providence place here in San Antonio Texas and we are going to interview some of the great folks that work here so we're excited to, to be here uh, this morning and thank you for listening again to episode 11 we uh, you can reach us uh, or hear our podcast on A twenty one freedomchasers.org org or Chuck Paul LLC we'll kick it off now uh, Chuck
1: so we're coming to you live we have a special broadcast tonight we have coming to you live from Providence place and we have the the opportunity to talk to some awesome just inspirational women judith and angelica judith can you tell us a little bit about yourself
2: sure i'm judith bell i am the ceo at providence place i've been ceo for three years and this is a truly amazing uh, organization in the community wanting to do good so angelica.
3: My name is Angelica Cervantes, I'm the Chief Program Officer. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I am just beyond excited to be a part of Providence Place and be a part of this new journey that we are embarking on.
1: So can you tell us a little bit about Providence Place? What's your history?
3: Well, we have a very interesting history.
2: Uh, We were founded in 1895 uh, out of a brothel from downtown San Antonio, the red light district. Uh, Mary Valino. had a house of prostitution in downtown San Antonio, and she had this transformational meeting, an inspirational meeting with the ministers at Travis Park Methodist Church at that time. And they, along with Travis Park, they turned that brothel into a home for wayward girls. And so our history actually started rescuing young women off the streets of San Antonio and uh, providing them uh, housing. And their motto at the time was... um, Protection for every girl seeking help. And that that was just, that was how this amazing organization got started. About 10 years into that ministry, uh, Mary Bellino um, discovered that so many women were pregnant or had children in tow, that um, the mission was even greater than the rescue part of that. And she started placing children in forever families. And we still do that today. One of the oldest adoption agencies in Texas, and we have placed placed over six thousand babies
1: in our history. So, Providence Place was called Providence Place at the time, or was it called something different.
2: Early on, it was called the Rescue Mission, and then we've had about six different names. Uh, we changed our name to Providence Place in twenty fourteen um, from Methodist Mission Home. So, a lot of people who li- are listening may know us as Methodist Mission Home instead of Pro- Providence Place.
1: And, you know, we're coming to you from this beautiful 25-acre campus, you know, near the medical center in San Antonio. This is unique in San Antonio. Why?
2: Well, we're hidden, for one thing. And I think the thing that separates us from other large campuses is people who come on this campus for the first time will say, this feels like a safe place. You know, this is a peaceful place. And I think that that's just special. Um when we were moved out here in the 1960s, there was nothing around but trees. We have aerial views that show nothing but Providence Place campus cleared and trees all around us. And we are just in a very neat location. We have a bus uh, line right out front uh, of our property. Um, we're right next to the medical center. We're easy access from um, several different locations in town. And I think that that makes us unique because most campuses this size are outside of the city limits. And so we have the, the, uh, the blessing of being uh, in close proximity to a lot of services that those that we serve
1: need. And so you had another mission that you eventually took on, like many years ago. What was that?
2: We did in the mid seventies. Uh, the adoption world started to change. Wade versus Roe came about. Birth control uh, really came into the picture, and there was just greater societal acceptance um, around single motherhood or unplanned, preg- you know, unplanned pregnancies. Um, and at that time, I think the the leaders here were so visionary that they did a community assessment, basically, and there was a population of uh, young adults and those who, those that were deaf and hard of hearing at that time. And so the work skill development for the deaf and hard of hearing, and at one point uh, that program was called the Southwest Center for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing, um, and we, we taught them vocational education and training skills. That program evolved over time. We actually operated it for 43 years, um, and in the 80s actually opened it up to all young adults with Uh, varying disabilities and so for 43 years we provided this uh, life skill, vocational skill, transitional housing opportunity for young adults with disabilities. Last year we closed that program. because the state changed some of the program requirements that we didn't believe it was ethical to continue offering program to young adults with disabilities that way. So we actually closed a 43-year-old program. It was heartbreaking, uh, but it was the right thing to do. And I also just know that this is what we're supposed to be doing, opening a transitional housing program that's founded in trauma-informed care that really is about restoration, inspiration, transformation, that um, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And so we are blessed to have a 28-room dormitory on our campus that we're currently um, uplifting um, not, not a full blown renovation, but, uh, upgrading and, uh, and getting ready to serve, um, uh, young, uh, women who are adult women who are survivors of human trafficking.
1: So, so that's, to me, this is amazing. And it, it's just, I just see the hand of God throughout all of this. I mean, 125 years ago, you started out as probably the earliest rescuers of sex trafficking victims in all of Texas. Hmm. I agree. You spent 43 years developing transitional housing, transitional services, and vocational training for young adults, but how important are those services for women trying to escape sex work?
2: You know, it is a God thing. There's no other way to to describe that because we really believe that's where our expertise Is. Uh, We work with young women um, who have been um, victims of sexual assault, domestic violence over the years in our adoption program. We just didn't track that. You know, we were one of those programs who just didn't ask that question. We were focused on adoption and healing the grieving part of a birth mom placing her child for adoption. So we didn't really. Track it. Now, I bet if I hired somebody to go back through all of those thousands of files, you would see sexual assault, domestic violence, trafficking experiences for that. So, we really are grounded in that. Um, and we really are grounded in providing quality residential services. And so, it was just this beautiful blend of expertise that we have. And we started talking about uh, moving into the human trafficking field in 2016. Um, I was actually looking in one of our history books. Now, I've looked in that history book for years, and it just fell open to a certain page. And the only paragraph I saw on that page was Mary Valino giving a report to the Methodist Church conferences that said, we rescued two pure souls off the streets of San Antonio today, 112-114. We returned the 12 year old to her home in houston and we found a home for the 14 year old i knew at that time what we were supposed to do i just didn't know how it was going to play it itself out and actually in 2016 the board approved uh, deep research and uh, kind of community assessment about what the need was for uh, adult women survivors and so we really started getting involved And the need was so great. The push from other agencies for us to begin housing survivors was so great. We weren't ready for it. And we just said, we have to step back. You know, we were really in the research phase and we weren't going to start providing services unless we were going to do it in a way that was quality and that was going to ensure um, trauma informed care for the survivors.
1: So so why why is that, all those pieces, vocational training, trauma-informed care, quality services, housing, why are those so important pieces for helping adult women out of sex work?
2: You know, Chuck, that's a great question. And, you know, we've heard other stories, um, you know, recently just about uh, Centro Seguro and some other programs opening up. But those are for really minors. And so when children, uh, youth age out of that system, out of the minor system, whether that's uh, DFPS or uh, homeless and runaway youth, at 22, there's nothing. So there's really no other safety net, and so often then those youth are gonna return from where they came, and oftentimes that's back into the life that they had already stepped out of. But they don't know the resources, and they, there's not this continuum of care that is in place for young adults. And that's just, we just really believe that those that's critical. Um, they need longer than two or three months. They need 18 months to 24 months to really get grounded because you we know that the first few months is just about building trust. You heard Carol's story, and how many times did you know did she come up and say, Nobody, I couldn't trust anybody. Nobody would believe me. And so we know that there's some of this first Care and you know systems of support that have to be done before you can get into the work of you know deeper counseling and uh, life skills and employment because a lot of people, a lot of women in the sex industry, say that they would get out, but they don't know where and how to go to because they're already making money. And so how does that transition into a, a, a job that may pay minimum wage and you still have children and you have housing, you just can't snap your fingers and overnight get out of that.
1: Right. And then so many of the women, because they've had multiple arrests by this point, let's say they're trafficked as a juvenile, trafficked as a young adult, now they're in sex work because they have no other choice. That's right. And so many of them end up with the, having to check the box saying convicted felon.
2: That is correct. And you know we spoke with uh, Judge Rummel just recently, actually this this week about Esperanza Court, and we're looking about how can we really work with Esperanza Court and be the secondary safety net for the women who are completing that program. Um, There's so much passion uh, with um, with the 144th Court around this, and I just think this is not a this is not an issue that one agency or one institution can solve on their own. And our approach really is we don't have to hold all the answers. We just have to connect with the people who already have some of the answers. And you put that together and it's true collaboration. You know, it's not just signing a a, a MOU or an agreement to partner. This really is, so how can we work together? I mean, we know we have the housing piece. You know, we can have the case management piece. We can have the work skill, work readiness piece. But there's other pieces out there. Uh, Chemical dependency is a big part of these women's lives. Uh, That's not what we do. So why would we even attempt to do that? So we want to partner with other agencies, volunteers of America's, like the program, Alpha Home. Uh, We can just go on down the list. We can let them do their piece. We can do our piece But we can share and not be territorial about each of those pieces. That's how we're going to make a difference in this community, and that's how we're going to fight human trafficking.
1: That is just absolutely beautiful.
4: I couldn't agree with you more. I think that partnership is so crucial uh, in fighting human trafficking, not just in our city, but just overall, right? I mean, we all have a certain set of gifts and talents that the Lord has blessed us with. And so if we come together and really just own our own, we can make you know such a difference well
2: you know that is true and i'm glad you said around the country because um we have actually spent some time on the road visiting other programs who already have the model that we really want to uh implement here in san antonio in texas um we've been to houston we're going to nashville uh and in june uh we've been to dallas and so we're really we're not trying to reinvent the wheel but we want to put together a, a program that can be replicated and um, and serve just as many as we can, you know, we can serve. We know that we can't you know, serve every single person, but we can serve 20 at a time. And, you know, it's almost like the starfish story. Yeah, you know, I saved that one. I saved that one. Um, but this isn't about us saving them. It's about us providing a place where they can be accepted and supported to take the lead in transforming their own lives, mm-hmm. and um, we're just an instrument right. of, of of that. God's going to do what he, what he does, you know. For that, we know that there's a strong spiritual component uh, in in this. There's a strong component of individualization. Every woman is going to have a different story. They may be similar. But there's something individual and specific about each one of those, and I am so passionate about this. My dad taught me this early on. I grew up in law enforcement, and so we weren't we were not shielded from any of uh, the the societal issues that you know took took place. And um, I can remember I was 13 years old and he was going to spank me one day for some reason. And I don't know where this came from. And it's a wonder I'm alive today is because I said, you are not going to spank me. I am too old for this. And I don't seriously know where that voice came from. And he just stopped. And he said, that's all I've ever wanted to hear. Because if you'll stand up for me, you'll stand up to anybody. And you'll stand up for anybody who doesn't have a voice. And this is the cycle of my life. And that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this something that is uh, impactful to the community. And it's not me, I just want to facilitate it. You know, I just want to be there in support. I want to connect with everybody I can connect with um, because we have to take a stand. Modern day slavery, there is absolutely no room for that in our society.
1: And I know that you're, you've got terrific staff here, one of which is sitting next to you.
2: Absolutely.
1: And and she has done a ton of work in order to bring this renewed vision into place. You want to tell us a little bit about that? And look at-
3: oh yeah. Um, well, it's been fun first and foremost, because I love, <laughs> <laughs> I love designing new programs and this has definitely been, um, quite a journey. Um, but, um, Throughout kind of the exploration process, one of the things that I really hold dearly is always developing programs that are coming from the perspective of the people that it's meant to serve. That's priority to me. You know, so first and foremost, when I had been introduced to Carol, I was like, love it. I want a survivor with me. (laughs) You know, to ensure that the program is being designed from the survivor lens. Um, You know, so having her there, um, really kind of looking over the different program components is something that just gives me peace of mind that, you know, again, we're serving as that instrument, but in a way that's client-centered, you know, going to the different programs across Texas and um, in different states and consulting with people. One of the... I think one of the coolest things we've found has been this collaborative nature when we've been reaching out to a lot of these programs like for example um there's the samaritan women out in maryland um and when we reached out to them to talk you know to talk to them about what we wanted to do they were just so open and so caring and they were like whatever it is that you need you know policies procedures we're going to share kind of what worked what didn't work um you know it was just. You know, oftentimes when you look at society, you know, like Judith mentioned, sometimes people can get territorial and people want to just create something that's for themselves and we forget the purpose. Like we're here to serve (laughs) in the most effective way possible, you know, because that's how we can serve more people and really – be able to disseminate that help to those that need it the most. So you need to be able to work with each other and collaborate. So to come across these other programs that they have already been serving for the last five, 10 years, and for them to be so open and honest with their program model, sharing those policies and really sharing like, hey, you know what, you all in Texas need to really consider this because this is kind of where we're, pit you know, some pitfalls for us. You know, it's great because then it's like, you know, we don't want to, you know, spend time. Um kind of figuring that out if someone already else, you know, has done that. So it was really great to engage in that collaboration.
4: That's just beautiful. Um, You, you know, as you're talking and talking about how um, other organizations helped to give you information mm-hmm. that was helpful for them and in their research and whatnot, it just reminds me of the body of Christ, right? That's what we are all supposed to do is help each other. And they've done this piece. You helped the other piece mm-hmm. come together and, mm-hmm. you know, we can all make it work. I think in our... um. Organization, we've encountered the same things with organizations from Houston and whatnot as, as we were starting uh, to come together and bring the awareness piece out and do outreaches such as the Backpage.com outreaches and whatnot. Um, they were so helpful in providing anything we needed. It was no you know, this is ours, it's proprietary, you know, it was like, we're all in this together, we're all wanting to solve the same problem, let's let's work this out. Mm -hmm. So that's amazing. So tell us about some of the programs and where you are,
3: Um, are you, about to start any of them, or is there still some work to be done? There's still a lot of work to be done. Our target opening date is October, November. Um, So right now, we have already established the program model. It's going to be a model that's revolving around um, restorative phases. So the first phase is going to be working with our survivors and establishing that sense of security and safety and building rapport, because again, because of the different complex traumas that have been experienced, um, traumas only heal through relationships. That's it. So that is the core of the program, that building of those relationships. Um, Then after that, we're going to go into a skill building phase, and that's going to be then revolving a lot around building that work ethic, um, going into the job readiness classes. But again, everything being done through that trauma-informed care lens. I think that's something very unique that we're going to be doing here at Providence. Some other programs sometimes, you know, will do job readiness and they do the classes and, you know, the priority is just get them out to a job and then we're done and then people wonder well what what happened like (laughs) you know they got fired or you know they're having workplace issues like I don't know what went on you know they did the classes Um, and the thing is is that you 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 can't ignore the impact of the trauma because it's gonna infiltrate all their different areas in life specifically the workplace environment too so being able to do those classes through a trauma-informed care lens being able to provide that emotional support that's needed For them to be able to sustain that employment and be successful in those placements is really going to be critical to the success of our survivors as they're going through our program. Um, You know, so we're going to be integrating opportunities for um, internship opportunities, volunteer experience, so a lot of work experience first to really get them in there, get them comfortable, get them building their self-esteem and confidence, again, you know, and restoring that empowerment within them before then going into a true work phase, um, period. Um, you know, and then be, ensuring that there's going to be that self-sustainability again for when they exit the program, they can be, you know, standing on their own two feet, you know, and most importantly, having that confidence in themselves. So, um, right now it's a lot of grant writing, <laughs> and a lot of, uh, trying to get our funding together so we can open those doors in October. You know, obviously for us, if we could open tomorrow, <laughs> we would, um, we actually have already gotten some people referring and we're like, we're sorry, we're not open yet, you know, so we definitely want to be able to open as soon as we can. So right now it's really about, you know, getting the dorm renovated, um, getting those pieces in play um, so we can successfully open the program in October.
4: So if there's someone listening that has been wanting to make some kind of contribution or donation to your organization that says, you know what, this is the perfect place um, that I'd want to donate my, my money to, how could they do that? They can actually go to our website, which is
2: www.prov.com place.org and there is a donate now button (laughs) and you can click that donate now uh, that now button and we are not ashamed to ask for financial support because there are so many I truly believe that there are so many people who want to become involved who are impassioned about ending human trafficking but you know that this can be a scary place too and you know so how do you do that we are an organization that was founded on grace I mean, bottom line, um, we survived through grit, and we are still going to maintain grace and uh, and beauty in all that we do. Um, you don't have to worry about how we steward our money. Our money is stewarded in a way that is open and transparent. Um, but and quite frankly, we need the financial support right now, right. Um, and and we need ambassadors who do not mind in, in making introductions to uh, for us, uh, Chuck you've been great you have opened so many doors uh, for us and I know that there are people who can make significant contributions that can really just turn you know the page open the new chapter and we could open before October and November but no any contribution you know is appreciated it doesn't have to be a large one but this you are investing you right. are supporting a survivor of trafficking, domestic violence or sexual assault. Write their own future story. And I can't think of another way to invest your money than in an individual who is in the process of transformation.
4: And what if someone's listening and says, "Okay, I don't have monetary funds to donate, but I'd like to contribute time or my energy. how What are some ways that people can get involved? We're actually working on that volunteer structure about what
2: that would, um, look like. And I will have more information around that when the program opens, because we'll have to be very selective in our volunteer process. Um, you know, uh, I believe that, uh, we heard earlier about the background checks and, uh, you know, kind of the whole clearance for, you know, for that, um, we'd run, what uh, we'd run, uh, people all the way through the FBI background Checks to ensure, uh, you know, a clear history, because no, in no way do we want to revictimize for that. Um, but there are there are other ways. If somebody is interested in sponsoring a room, from painting to furnishing a room, they can do that. Or if a couple of people want to get together to do that and all we have to do, all they have to do is reach out to Brian, uh, our development director at uh, 210-696-2410 and he can make that happen.
1: So can we say that number again, especially for like in-kind services, let's say you've got, let's say that you have a a construction company that's hearing this message right now or a company that can provide uh, security updates or any one of those needs, very essential needs that you need. And they're saying, you know what, I would like to provide that labor or installation or even the equipment. Who do we contact?
2: Again, you would contact Brian you know he's our go-to person for channeling and wrapping around whatever um uh, in kind that would be um, it's interesting what grants cover and what grants don't cover so we have a lot of basic need materials that will be um, uh, needing clothing new clothing because we don't want even gently used items there's something about opening a package and still having tags on a hanger that gives you value, you know, are trying on a pair of new shoes out of the box. I know that sounds very small. But that's huge. That just gives people a sense of worth that we take for granted. And um, so this new clothing, um, it's amazing how they don't necessarily cover all the food and so we'll have a greater list around what those items look like Uh, we'll also be housing uh, pregnant women and uh, women who have children under the age of three Um, diapers formula uh, children's items you know some of women who leave these abusive situations leave with nothing you know uh, I worked domestic domestic violence for 10 years and so many people came to that shelter with just the clothes on their back or in their pajamas and you know when you're at that point of crisis you don't think about what you need you know and so we're also going to need funding to help with birth birth certificates IDs things that we take for granted in what I will say quote unquote normal society um, we can't do that with women female survivors we just can't do that and so that is um that's where we're going to be looking that's where we're going to be um be reaching out for community support both financially and in kind
4: great so they can look on your website for updates and things like that yes wonderful. and
2: so if it's not up there it will be now um but i I really believe it's already up there so uh yes and again that's www.provplace.com org
1: so i'm hearing so much passion and i it's very inspiring it's very inspiring so uh, there are also folks out there that i know that could probably make the connections that you need can they also go to your website or where they just, or they would talk to brian
2: i think it would be better to talk to um to brian even though we have a general contact um page on there um there's E- e- email and website uh, you know contacts are great but there's something about talking person to person and I do think you get that pat you get the passion and you have the opportunity to ask questions that you don't if you're just submitting you know an information page even though we'd call you back but you know we yeah faith uh, either via the uh, the website or uh, calling 210-696-2410 uh, uh, and asking for Brian that would be great.
1: So what type of resources are currently on this 25 acre site because I've gotten the opportunity to have a wonderful tour of the site and and what I've seen is just so impressive this is unique and you're gonna tell us a little bit why uh,
2: yeah because we're a multi-purpose agency and it's kind of interesting to think from ado- adoption to disabilities and how did that you know how did that happen um, but that's what makes us that's what makes us who we are you know t- Today, So we still um, provide adoption services. So we work with the state uh, to place foster children in forever homes for and forever families. We do domestic infant adoption. So we work with young women facing uh, an unplanned pregnancy who would like to uh, travel down that adoption journey. Um, so that means we work with a potential adoptive families as well. We have a new program that is just unbelievably been successful uh, and that is our parenting with a purpose program we are actually in the Bear county jails providing parenting education for both the male and female uh, populations um, as well as working with some other uh, larger organizations that work with children and families avance is uh, it's one of those agencies that we are working with and angelica am i right if we said we have served 800 clients
3: over 800 in the last seven months
2: In the last seven months and um, you know we're just beginning to see the the results of that we also have a group home for young adults with disabilities that is a program that we kept when we closed our work training program and a residential program but we have an eight bed group home for uh, young adults who need some extra time uh, learning work skills and uh, independent living skills to follow up on that program we call it Oasis home is the legacy program and that is our transitional housing program for young adults with disabilities. Uh, Just like our female survivors that we've been talking about so much needing time and support and acceptance, so do young adults with disabilities wanting to live independently and who can live independently in the community. Um, We're talking about already expanding that program to include kiddos who are uh, aging out of the foster care system because that, again, is very limited safety net around um around that that's what makes us unique and I, I think you know when i said you know we were an agency founded on grace and driven by grit that's what I t- that's what makes us that grit is really what makes us really unique and we're not afraid to step back and say where are the gaps of service in our communities and what is our obligation and what can we do to fill
1: those gaps because it is so important because it's the marginalized, in particular the marginalized that traffickers like to target. They target those that, that don't have a way to protect or house or care for themselves. And and so by providing an, an overall range of services and then collaborating with the service providers that are already experts in this area, what you're essentially doing is you're providing a continuum of care and a safety net being a piece of that puzzle, a huge piece of that puzzle to prevent as well as interdict on trafficking method.
2: Absolutely. Uh, you know, absolutely. And I think there's a population of um, of the trafficked, I guess that's a word, um, people out there. And that is those with disabilities. And we have, we're in the unique position to provide services to those young women um, who have been taken advantage, uh, taken advantage of, you know, over the, the period of time.
0: Which is which is great. I mean, we I'm impressed with, you know, what your vision is your mission is and um, we definitely need that here in San Antonio and so a lot of a lot of uh, people are going to benefit from the services that you guys are, are offering and so thank you so much uh, Judith and Angelica to uh, meeting with us today and really sharing um, your your purpose you know here in San Antonio and we're excited to maybe also um, come back in the future and see uh, some success stories on uh, things that are going well here in Providence Place and so you heard the website um, it's www www.provplace.com uh, uh, thank you and so you can uh, visit their website and uh, see how you can help because that's that's what it's all about is helping each other out um, and so go out there and see how you can help and uh, you can uh, listen to our podcast again at a 21 freedomchasersorg and chuckpaulllc.com and so thank you so much for uh, tuning in to episode 11 and we're looking forward to um, the next few episodes as well so have a great evening once again thank you